Welcome to the Beyond Woman Conversations podcast, the place that inspires beautiful change. Join your host, Jacqueline Walker-Johnson, as she discusses topics that span lifestyle, fashion, business, and so much more, all aimed at inspiring, encouraging, educating, and celebrating you, the woman. to another episode of the Beyond Woman Conversations. And today I have with me Michelle Fanger Esquire. Michelle is the founder of the Fanger Law Firm and is also a member of the Florida Bar and is also licensed to practice before the United States District Court for the Middle District of Florida and the United States Tax Court. She actively practices before Executive Office for Immigration Review, and she has defended both corporations and individuals in numerous complex tax cases involving the IRS. Her tax practice incorporates both state and federal regulations involving counseling and assisting clients in achieving and maintaining compliance with the tax code. Michelle, I'm not gonna say much more. I'm gonna leave you to do a little bit more of you know, introducing yourself, telling us uh, your background, not just the tax thing, but um, and, and not, not as a lawyer, but as, a, as an individual, as a woman. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Okay, usually when people ask that question, it's hard to really, you know, talk about myself. But um, as you can hear from my accent, I am a Jamaican, born in Jamaica. I went to primary school in Jamaica, high school in Jamaica. I'm from a beautiful parish. You could say the best parish, um, Trelawney. Of course, everybody's <laughs> going to claim their parish as the best. Yes, <laughs> but uh, it's a nice area. You know, I grew up between the sea. The I live near the beach. I also live near the river, Martha Bear River. So it was a beautiful childhood. You know, like we didn't have a lot, but I always tell people growing up, um, I couldn't, I didn't know I was poor. You didn't because know? Because I was poor. Oh. Based on how I was raised. You know, we had so much beauty around us. Not like now. We had the outdoors to, you know, explore and figure out life and figure out things. So growing up, um, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. So as you know, Seventh-day Adventist, I had to go to church on Sabbath. And uh, my grandmother was very active in the church. So growing up with her, I started early, like going into the community after church, you know, praying for people, singing songs, you know, as a child, you don't really want to do it, but you have to do it. Call your grandmother say you have to do it. And then I also had to assist with cleaning homes, you know, of the shutting and the elderly. So that's how I kind of started having a passion for helping people. And so that was one aspect of my childhood. But also um, I remember growing up, in my community, I've learned a lot from my uncles who were involved. You know, most families are single family. Now, I, like, I'm aware of my father. My father was involved, but I was mostly with my mother. So, um, and my uncles are really involved. So, you know, like on weekends, Saturday, we had to go to church. Weekends, we went, you know, cockfight. I'm not sure if they still do it in Jamaica or if it's illegal right now. But we go cockfight, we go to the beach on Sundays and we hang out with our family. And, you know, just a family unit. But through those experiences, as I said, I learned to have an appreciation for helping others. 
because of my grandmother and what she instilled in me. After, after primary school, I went to Wakefield Primary. It was in the Wakefield is a cane piece area. Okay. So majority of the students at my school parents worked on the um, sugarcane plantation. So, you know, like I appreciate attending that school because you, you are mixed with different students, but you learned a lot from them because they were able to perseverance. They were determined, like even though most of their family were from the plantation working, you know, they had ambitions to, you know, go beyond Wakefield. Mm, okay. Like so, you know, like so it pushes you because then we decide, you know, we had to do our common entrance. I went to Westwood High School, the best high school. The Westwood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where we wear the jippy japa hat, it's a little hat with a bow. But at Westwood, you know, like it's a boarding school. So there you you have to learn survival mode. A lot of girls start from the age of 10, 11. And you're on your own learning to survive, navigate the world, which uh, to me, I've always said it made me who I am, a part of who I am, because I was able to survive on little nothing. Because usually you get a limited amount of talk, we call it talk, or little snacks. And then they provided us with lunch. But if, you're, if your snack is finished, you know, you have to stretch it out for the entire month to learn to survive. Then you have to learn how to wash your clothes. You know, take care. So you have to learn to comb your hair. So you, you, when you first start, your hair looks horrible because of how you had to comb it. But then you eventually learn, you know, to groom yourself properly. And it taught us how to build relationships because you're with different people, different children from other areas of the island and other countries. And then you have to learn to coexist. So that's where I learned now. I know how to navigate people and being like, I'm an attorney. I learned how to, people might understand say to me like, oh, you're so calm dealing with certain clients because I've learned how to deal with different people. The different characters. Yeah. Yes. I know how yeah. to address. You know, you have somebody who will face the flighty and then you have to be the calm one that will say no. And balance it out. Yeah. So that's what I do. And those things have given me ex the experience and made me who I am. And then after that, I relocated after high school to New York, the jungle of New York. So I was a little country girl. I, I don't tell people country anymore because it's a state of mind. I always say you are what you say you are. So you have to, you know, talk positive stuff. So usually, you know, like in Jamaica, when they say country, it's like your backward, you know, like farming. I always say, no, I'm not country. I am from a unique place, Trelawney, mixed blend. And um, I went into New York, attended college. You know, in college, it's a new environment because it's somewhat of a sheltered life being in Jamaica where I live. But then when you go to New York, you, you, you know, you meet up with different people from Kingston, all over. Yeah. And different countries, you know, with different, that's where I learned about different cultures. Because like in Jamaica, you're so sheltered, you only see one way of things. But then when you go to New York, it's kind of open your eyes to see different people, different cultures, understanding where people are coming from. So then that gave me another appreciation of dealing with people and interacting with people. Well, you, and, you, you had a whole heap of opportunities to, to mold yourself and to become who you are today from the varied experiences that you went through. But let me yeah. ask you this. What was the inspiration that led you 
into becoming a lawyer? Was that something that you always wanted to do? Or was there something specific that pushed you in that direction? Well, I remember it's something I always wanted to do because I've always said I wanted to help people. And to be honest, like being an attorney, I also wanted to be a politician, which I no longer want to be because, okay. because you know, like you learn about the game and you see how it changes people. Like people will go in, like you want to help people, but then you have to take a little to help. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're falling into the whole corruption of what you is, is that, go into. Is that, is, that, is that like a fact though? I mean, couldn't, couldn't someone be the exception? What do you think? There are people who are the exception, but it's a fight. And oftentimes you see them back out mm-hmm. and say, you know what? I, I have to focus on my family. I have to focus on other things to bring peace because you do have people that are genuinely good, but it's a fight because you're like, you know, you're against the status quo of how it right. should be. You come in here, you should just basically sit and this is how it's done. So if you're right. trying to create waves then it's a problem, but as a child, I always see like I wanted to help people and, you know, like to help those who cannot speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. or afraid to fight for themselves mm-hmm. and i know like from earlier like i'm always in my friends or family ears or somebody ear like if they're having issues and i was like go speak up for yourself like all right you know like i'll try to guide them or educate them or what needs to be done so that's just natural for me to go into the field that i am so so this 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 personality this this um, mover and shaker and 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 um, this this woman who wants to fight for the rights of those the underdogs so to speak right so you're saying to me that it was because from earlier on you were thrust into these various experiences that that kind of caused you to become that person or even before being in that kind of environment at high school were you always this type of person this assertive person this go get up this person who wants to champion the cause of, of the underprivileged? I, I always have. And I always, but you know, the market is a troublemaker. <laughs> sometimes. And um, sometimes I used to do things a little differently. You know, they say you're crazy. Because you're trying to, you know, like, if you have reason, I'm like, I don't see where it's necessary to, you know, to follow that rule. I will not follow it just because it don't make any sense. And often as I remember, like I would say, like, you know, like in high school, they used to have a period where they say you cannot talk. You know, like you're sitting silence and work. Really? Or okay. they'll punish you. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day I said to the, the person in charge that we had prefix. And I was like, you know what, just write down my name right now. Because <laughs> I <laughs> and um, right. Yeah, because I'm going to talk, because we, we have to talk. And I That's said, so we have to talk. Yeah. And I remember, like, physical education, I hated it. Where we had to dress up in the PE clothes and go running around, and I hated it. And I used to tell our PE teacher that I don't feel like going. And she used to say, no, but you have to go. She'll punish me and put me under the bell. And, like, every Tuesday... I think Tuesday or Thursday, I would be under the bill. <laughs> until, 
until she said, you know, let me utilize it for something else. I don't know if you should remember, but she utilized me like she would make me in the morning, like when we start, like do lessons or mark book or whatever. And I remember even doing needlework. We used to do needlework. They teach us to sew. Mm -hmm. And I said to the teacher, like, I'm not going to school to learn to be a dressmaker. Why am I doing this class? And I didn't do anything. And she put me under the belt to punish me. <laughs> and I still didn't do it. And then she told my mother and she like, you know what? Do I have to do? <laughs> you are the rebellious. You are the rebellious girl, Michelle. Yeah, I was crazy. Like, yeah, I was just crazy. crazy. It's, I, just... It's, 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 I think it's just different. Um, I'm trying to remember a quote that I think came from uh, Steve Jobs about the people who I don't really remember the word, but it's it's, it's, it's you go against the grain. Yeah. You accept and you don't go with the mass. And I don't think anything is wrong because in, within the codes, the idea is that those are the people who change the world. Yes. You know, those are the people who cause the change. So, I mean, I think it's a good thing. And I'm pretty well, sure that too. it served you later on in your life. Yeah, it does because I tend to question things, especially things that might impact people around me. Like, I will speak against it. And I always say, like... um, like my friends will tell you, like we can be friends, but if you are doing something that I see is wrong, I will talk to you about it and I will point it out to you, you know, like and educate. And I always tell people, like people say, all right, you don't know. And I said, sometimes I don't experience things, but you know what? I learn from others and I see where they're coming from. Cause like you don't necessarily understand. So you react in a way because you don't know where somebody is coming from. But I always try to have a place of understanding, especially with my clients. Like I have clients from all over the world who have been through horrible things. And sometimes you just have to be the friend for them, to guide them. As, as you mentioned, clients, I want you to share with us uh, your, the whole gamut of your services that you offer through Family Law Firm. Well, the services. okay, so I do immigration. So I love immigration because I went through the whole immigration process, having a family member petition, my dad, you know, going through the whole process. So I'm sympathetic to those who want to realize the American dream. So because I've been through it, I'm able to guide them. And what I do is that when I learn anything, like they could tell you my clients, like I'll be on them. I'm like, you have an opportunity. Make sure you go to college. Make sure you make something like yourself. If the children are coming, if I petition for children to come here, I'm always on them. Stay out of trouble. Stay out of trouble. Don't, and I'll follow up with them consistently to see if how well they're doing in school. You know, if they're keeping up, staying out of trouble. And I'm always the first one. I've had clients that are being abused. And I represent them. Like they come here because they're expecting to get, you know, the greener pasture. And they end up in an abusive situation. So for those women, mostly women, I do have males, but mostly women. I have to be the one navigating them through the system because sometimes they have lost their confidence and they feel like everybody is against them. So I usually have to help them gain back their power. And sometimes when you see some of these women that are being down, like when you look at where they're coming from, from Jamaica, and you look at where they're coming from, and you say to yourself, how could this be this strong woman be going through this? 
But then everybody have a story. Or you see children, they come here, you know, like to be with another parent. And it's totally different. And you see what they're going through. And you have to tell them, you know what? This doesn't determine your future. Don't let it stop you. You could still go to school. If you don't want to go to school, if you want to start a business, you can still start your business. Just keep going. In, in a few years, you're going to look back at this and laugh. And also, I do do family law where I do handle divorce and child custody, time sharing. We call it time sharing here in Florida, where it's usually heartbreaking because even as a mother, where you see in situations where I have to explain to clients, which I usually have to explain to my clients, is that you can't be vindictive when it's coming toward, to uh, has to do with your child. Because if you think you're hurting that person, you're actually hurting the child. And right. I've realized that in most of my divorce cases, it's usually hurt and anger and they keep oh. fighting. Yeah, and I'm, I always have to be like, let it go. Yeah. Like I remember one instance where I was representing the wife, love money. This case was going, going, going. You know, like you have to pay. So, but at one point I said to her, like each time I work on something that was really favorable to her in the best interest of her and the children, she break the, the, the agreement back in court. So I said to her, you know that you have to come to a point. The guy has moved on, engaged. You have to let it go. At this point, he doesn't want you anymore because she lost her job. She was an executive in the bank. Because of how she was on this guy, she would not let it go. And I'm like, you have to love yourself and you have to let it go. We got to the point where the court wanted to take away the children that she was using as a pawn. Oh, wow. So I had to, yeah, I had to like tell her that you have to let it go. And then through it, I realized like a lot of people, when they go into divorce, they have this mindset of being vindictive. And oftentimes the person who wanted out already checked out. And like, there's nothing you could do to make them stay. Right, right. Nothing. So I've learned a lot from that. And also I do taxes where like, I've been in a situation where I always tell people, especially women, always be on top of what is going on in your finances and what's going on in your household. I've had a situation where they say, oh, my husband handled it. So they don't know. One of the most heartbreaking cases I had was that went all the way to the tax court where we had to fight with the IRS is a woman for 30 years. She had her husband and she was a stay at home, mother, wife, and they amassed a lot of wealth. She did not know about it. She just knows she lived in a beautiful home. She just knew bills were paid, taking her vacation, here done. But he was signing her name on these documents. So he wasn't paying taxes. So when the IRS figured it out, they hit them with a heavy tax lien. So they lost it all. Plus she was liable for the debt. Or because she didn't keep up with anything. Because, you know, like you're living the life. You're like, I'm living the life. Bills are paid, traveling, getting expensive things. I don't need to keep up, but she didn't know what he was doing. So what I had to do was go in to fight for her so that 
they don't attach the debt to her. It was already attached to sever the debt and not let her liable for all of this. Because she had to start working and she had to start working at Dillard's just because they lost it all. Well, I was able to get it where she wasn't liable for the debt. Awesome. Yeah, but it's just that she didn't have anything from the marriage because she had to forego everything. I'm listening to you, Michelle, and I believe, you know, like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like for you, it's not just a career. It's more than a career. Like, you, you actually get involved, so involved with your clients, both emotionally and, you know, in every way possible. And I'm saying, isn't, doesn't that cause like you to feel overwhelmed? How is there at any point that you've ever said to yourself, boy, I wish I had taken another route and I didn't, you know, and gone into this whole matter of law? Because it, it, it sounds to me like, not that it's burdensome, but it sounds heavy to me. It sounds like a lot. Trust me, sometimes it is a lot because sometimes and it does get, at one point, it was getting burdensome because, like, the thing is that when you have some clients, they're so reliant on you that they assume you're available for them whenever. Two o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the morning, whenever there's any inconvenience, you are available. But then what I had to do was say to myself, you know what? I have to step back for my sanity. I have to step step back for my son because I have to spend time with my son. So what I had to do was I had to create a balance where I said office hours are, you know, 10. We have, I have an assistant that goes in at nine, but from 10 to four, and that is the time when I'm available. Whatever needs to be done, if it's an emergency, I really can't do anything other than you have to call 911. So I usually say that's the time. And I had to make them understand and respect the time. I had to set boundaries. But I will be available to you throughout the day. Because the worst thing that happened to me when I was getting married in Jamaica, a client, I was in Jamaica at my wedding, and I already said I'm at my wedding. You know, notify court, notify opposing counsel. I'm at my wedding. And my client decided at that time when I went to my wedding to not follow the court order. So what happened was the opposing counsel called the police, did an emergency hearing because I'm not in the country. So I couldn't attend the hearing. I didn't know what was going on because I did an emergency hearing. So I didn't have to be present. The court ordered that they go pick up the children. So what happened was she was calling me my wedding day in the middle of a hurricane to tell me that they took her children. And I'm like, I can't do anything. And I'm like, you know, I was at a wedding. But you some say like any inconvenience, they assume that you should be readily available. And she was upset the whole time. And I said, I'm not leaving my wedding to come back. But yeah, but you have to create a balance. And then that's what I do with everything now. I create a balance. Like on the weekends, I said, this is for my son. Mm -hmm. The weekend is for my son. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we, we have to do that because I find, and I'm pretty sure even though, you know, you decided to do that, it wasn't an easy thing for you to do because any, I mean, as women, that's just how we are. We're very caring and, you know, we're understanding and so on. So I can imagine it still wasn't that easy for you. But let me ask you this. You, before you opened or founded the Fanger Law Firm, you were in a nine to five with another law firm, right? Yes. So how was the transition? Was. How, okay, how, how, how was the transition for you to move from the 95 into your own, into founding your own law firm? How was that for you? Okay. All right. So another thing I always wanted to do to do to be my own boss. So while working, I've always had in the back of my mind that I'm going to be my own boss. Because I've always said if I'm going to invest this much energy into somebody's office, I should be doing it for myself. Because one thing I've noticed is that you work the hours, you, you, you sacrifice your life, work the hours. Now, at the end of the day, the moment you fall, drop, dead, they replace you immediately. And I've seen it literally happen where one of my coworkers fell. We were having like a office function and he fell, but we thought he was playing but he was having a cardiac arrest. And that was a Friday evening. You see the Monday morning, they had somebody already there working in his position. And I was that moment I said to myself, you know what, I need to leave here, but I need an exit strategy. So even though I wanted to start my own business, like what I did while I was working was I saved enough money because I, I figured out, because I was doing like, figuring out like what I'll need to start my own business. Like even before COVID, I knew I didn't want to go into an office space immediately because I could work from home. And I see now it's a big thing, work from home. <laughs> People didn't want, but I said to myself, this is the amount of money I would need to survive for six months to pay my bills, also to start my business, invest in my business. I did research to see, like talk to other business owners to see like what they did, you know, like what expenses. Some said they got a loan. I said, you know what? I have student loan. I'm not taking out any more loans. I have a mortgage. I'm not taking out any loans. I'm just going to try to fund it. Whatever money I make, I reinvest in my business. So that's what I did. So when I got to the point where I had the money I wanted, enough saved for my exit strategy, that's what I did. I left. I left the October I think. And then I started my business. Okay. And But before I started, what I did was I was doing a lot of events, like volunteering. So oh, like okay. people would know my name. So I did a lot of volunteering around the community. So people would know me. And I told people, like when talking like to my friends, families, I'm like, I want to do immigration. This is what I want to do. And family, because the thing with family came about because a lot of my immigrant clients ended up doing divorces. So that's how I started doing that. So that's what I did to transition out. Um, I want to say just jump and just leave your job because, you know, like you have expenses to pay. You have to make sure those are covered. And starting a business, you're not going to see profit immediately in most instances. Because remember, it's a trial and error period because right. most things you're investing in doesn't work you go figure out should i put money into marketing 
is it worth it? You might start a marketing strategy, but then you realize you're spending this much money, but you're not making any money. So then you have to cut. So I would say that's how I did it. Um, that was work for me. It's not, I'm not making the millions that I want, but not yet. Yeah, not yet, but the the, the freedom I have with mm-hmm. planning my own schedule, especially having a young child. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes I see like, and I always say to my friends that you're like, I, I need to go to my son's event or my child's event, but I can't go because I'm working right. and they're sacrificing all this. And I'm like, no, if my son has any event, no matter what it is, I'm taking the time to go. But I have control over that. Exactly. Exactly. And about entrepreneurship, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. the most important thing. The control you have, the less stress you have. It's stressful. I still have to work. Like even this morning, I wake up. The first thing I'm thinking about, you know, how to get clients in. Cause you have to figure out, you know, cause you have to have the phone ringing. So that's why guys, I see my phone ring a few times. I thought it was on silent, but that's what you have to do. So it's always, you wake up every day and you have to just do it. Cause trust me, I remember like two weeks ago, I took time off to go to Jamaica emergency. But that was kind of a hit because like every day you have to keep working. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like, and that people don't appreciate it. It's like, and I always say to people like, we have it harder because when we work, we have to try to make sure we're making money. It's not like we have a salary coming in where you don't have to put in X amount of hours for getting the work done, but you still get an income. We have right. to literally put in the work. So when I took time off, because I can't take, I've never taken a vacation. People always see me, but I always tell people it's never a vacation for me because right. I'm still working right. wherever I go. I'm always working. So even then, but being out of the country, not having internet access easily, it was kind of a hit because I wasn't able to work as much mm-hmm. as I wanted to. Okay. So then I have to look back. At, what I do monthly is look back at, the profit and loss and to see what needs to be done. Right. So it's a constant work in progress, right? It's a constant yeah. work in progress. And I really loved um, the point you made about your exit strategy, because a lot of us, you know, um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I believe that we need to understand is that not all of us will become entrepreneurs. Some of us really have to stay in the nine to five, you know, but the ones who want to become entrepreneurs, they really need to have an exit strategy you know, and not just jump and, and, and do it oh, because they're frustrated or because, yeah. you know, they can't be bothered or maybe they did something that the company has nothing else left to do but to ask them to leave, you know. Yeah. So that, that was an excellent point. Um, yeah, it is very important. That, that, that ex- exit strategy and planning out the transition so that it can make it easier on you also. But let me yeah. ask you something. Law in general, would you consider it to be a male-dominated field? It is. It All is. right. And so my question, there's another part to my question. How, what are some of the challenges that you have faced, especially uh, now that you have your own practice? What are some of the challenges that you have faced as a woman? you want to know oh my god they are horrible they are horrible like i've had instances where i walk into court and they literally think 
I am an assistant. <laughs> I have to be like the name on the document, Michelle Fanger. That is me. I'm the attorney. And what they do oftentimes is try to gaslight you. They try to talk over you. And sometimes they act like they're buddy-buddy with the judge. Like, I've had this where I walk in, and they're talking about golf and everything, and I'm just sitting there. And it's like they assume that you are, you know, like, hold a little corner while we do a thing and how they're going to act. But then what you have to do is prepare yourself. But what I do is I always prepare myself. I always look up the attorney I'm going against. One, okay. I look up the judge. So study. You have to study who you're going against. So you know what you're going up against. Because some of them will say, I have years of experience. But you know what? The law continuously changes. Uh-huh. And there are new ways of doing things. That Sometimes they're stuck on the old way. And you know the new way. And I always say, speak up. I remember in one instance, I did not speak up for myself and it didn't help me or my client because this guy was bragging when I tell you when I walk into court for our next hearing like he literally had his foot up you know on the bench cocked up like you know like oh are you you know again like are you it just one two three but he didn't know because of how I felt from the last hearing, I over-prepared. I over-prepared. I prepped my client. I figured out how we asked the question because I asked for the transcript. I figured out what you've been looking for. When I tell you, when I started that day, he left, he left his firm because <laughs> every question he had that I knew he was going to ask, I had my client answer up front. So I killed this okay. entire, Yeah, he couldn't like, I killed this entire strategy. Like he was fumbling all over. And you know what? He didn't, he underestimated what I would be coming with. So I guess he didn't prepare as much. So it's, it's really hard. And um, women have to stand up. But sometimes it's sad to say though, not only the men, will be fighting against you. Some of the women also fight against you. So it's kind of hard, and especially if you're a minority. Right, right. With an accent. Right. You know, it's kind of like you have to be fighting to prove yourself. So that is why I always prepare, because I know what I'm going to, and knowing whom I'm dealing with. So you can't go in there half-prepared, unaware of what's happening and then you blame people and say blame them and say oh yeah because them are man that's this why you have to fight you have to know the fight you have to go in prepared and fight and always stand up for yourself yeah and, and i think that's where the success lies in the preparation you know mm -hmm. um not, not to take things for granted and uh just just prepare so that you have a voice in there and it's so unfortunate that we always have to be doing more yeah in order to survive as women we always have to be doing more in the in the boardroom in the courtroom i'm listening to you and it sounds like one of those movies that i see you know but it is reality it is reality it is. 
But I guess, as you said, when you prepare, that's what makes the difference. Yeah, you have to prepare yourself and then make your name. Like yeah. always, you know, put on your best, no matter what, and just make your name. Because eventually, they will have to know your name and respect your name. And when you walk into that room, garner respect. Because you have to walk in with authority, whichever room you go into. Because the moment they see you, like, fluttering, you know, because that's what one thing I do is I always get to court early so I could sit, look around, observe the environment and observe how, you know, they are interacting. So you're so taking I can, control, Michelle. So yeah. tell, tell, tell us about what are some of the successes that you have? Maybe one or two. Um, can, you, can you say that you're holding your own in terms of, you know, what you just said? in terms of preparing and, and making sure that, you know, you have all your ducks in a row and stuff. What are some of the successes that you've had? Well, I, okay, my success is this. Like, I look at my client's satisfaction. Like, success to me is when you come in and you say you need an attorney and this is what I want to accomplish. And I sit with you and I do a strategy plan where I tell you, obviously I'm not the judge, so I can't tell you, you know, like 100% guarantee. And I always tell people, if an attorney tells you that 100% guarantee, don't fall for it. We don't know what the judge is going to look at, you know, what how it's going to go. But to me, success is where the client, like the last case I had, this it's also a, a domestic violence, a VAWA case, where my client for five years, a teacher, was abused by her husband for five years, afraid to talk about anything, he took away her documents. She weren't. She wasn't able to work. She was a teacher because he took her documents. When they asked for the renewed documents, she couldn't provide it, so she lost her job. Wow. Being abused, sexually, you know, physically abused, um, financially abused, and hearing her voice. Even when we walked into that interview to hold her hand to go into the interview, and even to sit behind her, because every time she was looking back at me while I tried to empower her to represent, and I always tell them, you know what. You have to tell your story. Right. Like, I can't tell it for you. I could guide you, but you have to tell your story. But to me, and her mom died in Jamaica, she couldn't go back. So to me, when she finally got her green card, after all those years of abuse, to me, that was, you know, like satisfaction that I could do it for her. Another case just happened for me yesterday when my client, for his citizenship, he can't read. Like a lot of people, older Jamaicans that are found out, able to navigate the system, but are not able to read. And, you know, they have the fear of going forward because they can't read. But to guide him and allow him to see that, yes, he could do it. You know, you just need to work on these things. You know, like a wholesome project where he was able to get his citizenship after all these years being in the country you know, he was able to get it. So that's, to me, satisfaction. Uh, there's so many cases, you know, like, because my clients are like family to me. Uh, not really family, they're my clients. But to be involved in assisting them, getting, whether it's to become a citizen or getting their divorce, that to me is just satisfaction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Awesome, I love it, I love it. And I mean, I think that you... You're not representing the rich, are you? You're representing those who 
Well, let, let me stop because you laugh. So what? Why did you laugh? No, it's a it's a mixture. You know, it's a mix. Okay. It's a mix. It's okay. a mix. Okay. That much I can say. It's a mixture because um, different people go through different things. Mm-hmm. So, so I, even I say to you too, like as I said, a lot of abuse cases too I do is with um males and people are like, how oh, they forget abuse? You know, because we have this thing about men like. They don't have to be abused, like, but they they're some tough. of them are being abused. Yeah, they're tough and they just handle it. But I represent those people too. So, and people with money, they, especially when I do taxes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, where they go through, because some of them, like, they, they're old school. Like, they're you wrong. know, like, they're old school. Like, they have their skill. Okay. They work. They made their money, but they're not, like, keeping the books. You know, right, managing right, right, on, right, right. Or, or they will have an accountant, but they're not following up with the accountant to make sure that that's what people need to do too when you have business. Whatever you do, always ensure you follow up. If it's an accountant, don't leave it a hundred percent in your accountant hand. Always go over your documents to make sure they're filing your taxes on time. You require taxes. They're making the correct deposits to the IRS because you're ultimately liable. So like with these older people, like they do have their business. So they're, they're not looking to say, all right, my accountant is messing up. And then to see yeah, them. I, I know, I know. And I find that that happens a lot with people who are wealthy. They, they take yeah. it for granted and assume that, okay, because you're paying someone, they're doing the correct thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this too. You're from Jamaica. I, and I know that you have some influence in the diaspora. Um Tell us a little bit about that. The people who might be hearing or watching this interview and they are a part of the diaspora and, and they need help. You do work with these people and you're involved in the diaspora within the Florida region. Talk to us about that. Okay, so I'm a part of the Jamaica diaspora. You have two. You have the global that is with a lot of other countries and then you have, I'm part of the Jamaica diaspora task force. So they have education, you have legal, which is legal support and immigration that I'm the chair. And you have um, you have health and wellness. So what they do is like what the organization does is that they have different tasks. That's it's called task force. So they do different right. projects, whether for education, it is training teachers on the latest, allowing them to get certification. For me, so I'm more familiar with my chair task force. So I chair the immigration legal. What I do is I find issues that impact the diaspora. For instance, I will do presentation where I have attorneys talk on those topics. Like I know a lot of people were having issues in regards to um, trust and estate in Jamaica, titles, and like you purchase a property, they don't know what happened, how it operates. So I had an attorney come in to speak on it, to actually give guidance and direction on what needs to be done. Or if you have somebody that died and you want to find out who owns the property, what steps to take. Mm-hmm. Also with immigration, you know, we have a lot of people that are impacted by immigration. So I do, we do do workshops, like we call them town halls, where we provide information on any topic that's affecting, impacting our community, like green card, deportation, and it's an answer, uh, question and answer session where 
people can ask questions, we answer. Also, if you need assistance, we connect you to an attorney from our network who can assist you. So we touch on different things that impact our community. There's also a crime task force where they try to work with the government, you know, for resolutions to crime issues impacting our community. So it, it it's it's a wide. It has I think thousands of members. Mm-hmm. So we're targeting people from um, Jamaica and how we can help them. Even here in the United States, like we did one on family law, because a lot of people didn't understand, like a lot of people are not aware, like I have a lot of fathers who don't know that they're not married to the father. They really don't have any right to the child. They can't make decisions for the child. So a lot of them are not aware because they'll be like, oh, why can't I spend time with my child? Why can't I come pick up the child? But if you can't just do that because you're not married. So there, you have to go establish your rights. If the mother say, I don't want you to have the child, so we do provide, I provided a, a session on that, like going through and explaining, you know, child support. So I talk about law because that's what I'm chair of. Right, but we right. offer, you know, lots of different. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand. So we're, we're at the end of our interview, but of course I couldn't end without asking you to give some kind of advice to young woman or or maybe even somebody who is my age mid-40s who probably want to change career because it's never too late for anything right what are some of the advice that you can offer to anyone who aspires to be a law to become a lawyer okay um if you want not one if you're desires to be a lawyer i always say do it it, um, the first step would be, as I said, you, you just have to have the mindset of, you know, like older, when you're older and you're going to school, you're, you know, you're more focused. Like, this is what I want to do. You're not going to party. So what you need to do is figure out what school you want to attend. Then you have to do the LSATs. That's the entry into law school. They usually don't, people always say, oh, you have to do pre-law courses. No, whatever you have your bachelor's in. That's okay, as long as you have the grades. And make sure you're involved in your community because they, they do look at that. Because, you know, as attorneys, you are supposed to be giving back, helping your community, doing pro bono work. That's a part of the profession. Okay. And then um, it's never too late to go because I've had individuals in my class that I told someone and they laughed. Like one of the guys in my class, he was 60-something. But that's what he wanted to do. He's always wanted to be a lawyer. There you go. Never too late. Never too late. And he did it. So once you have, um, that's what you want to do. I always say do it because you don't want to come to the end of your life and you have regrets. Right. You're going to always have regrets. You're going to be like, oh, but I wanted to be a lawyer and I never did it. Mm-hmm. Nothing is stopping you. It doesn't matter your age. Just do it. And, you know, you could either, as some people work through law school, the one and two classes, or, you know, you get a loan or you could get scholarships. So if it's something that you want to do, definitely I say go ahead and do it. Don't let nothing stop you from doing it. Awesome. I love that. And what would be like an overview, uh, not an overview, what would be your encouragement generally to women and just, you know, standing up for ourselves and speaking out, especially as you're in a male-dominated career environment, 
what, what, are, what are some of the things that you would tell a woman to, in order for her to survive in that kind of um, situation? Okay, what I would advise is that, which I've learned along the way, know yourself. Know yourself. Be aware of who you are. Because when you're aware of who you are and you're confident within yourself of who you are, you cannot be misled. And once you're aware of who you are, you develop some level of confidence about yourself. And that will help to guide you, to navigate you through the system. Always be prepared because we know as women, the fight is harder. Nothing yeah. is going to be really handed to us. So you have to be, not have the mindset of, oh, I'm a woman, I'm already defeated. Go in, walk into the room, fix your crown. No matter, even if you feel like, you know what? You know, you, you don't feel like you, you have it right, the right answer. Still go in with a level of confidence. Because trust me, sometimes I go into these courtrooms and these guys are wrong. But how they talk, you're so convinced they're right. You have to go check the law book to figure out that they're actually wrong. So go in with a level of confidence. Don't be shaken. Don't listen to the noise around you. Don't listen to the smirks because that's just a way for them to try to knock you off your feet. But just be focused. Educate yourself about whatever topic you're going into or whatever area you're going into. Educate yourself so that you're knowledgeable because with knowledge, you also have the power. You don't second guess yourself. So you talk with a level of authority. Mm -hmm. So that would be my advice. Just be aware of yourself, know who you are. And so you're not easily uh, misled and just be strong and firm mm -hmm. in whatever you do. That's a powerful, doing. powerful way for us to end. I mean, know ourselves because I believe that once, I too believe that once we're in that space where, you know, we, we just know our strengths acknowledge the weaknesses because there's nothing wrong we're human we're not robots yeah. you know nothing is going to be a hundred percent but once you know yourself i believe that that is like 99 percent of your problem solved so i want to thank you michelle fanger esquire <laughs> thank <laughs> you for having conversations me. today conversation today and for you know just just giving us an idea of who you are some some tips really really relevant tips and um we want to wish you all the best and we hope that so our much. viewers or listeners will reach out to you if they do have any issues with immigration divorce children child custody that kind of thing all right thank you, thank you again thank you. and have a great thank day. you for having me you too have a wonderful